Well, my name is Daryl Temple. I actually pastor this church, this lovely group of people with my wife, Bethany, who was up here just some moments ago. Um, I'm going to uh, just give everybody a little breakdown here. I sweat a lot. Don't let that scare you. I'm also wearing a sweater. There's a reason for it. Uh, I looked at my closet this morning, and I found that I had no, like, you know, dress shirts available that weren't wrinkled or dirty, and I have poison oak or something on this arm, and it's really nasty. And so I, I guess, you know, to make a long story short, I would spare you from the poison oak and let you watch me sweat to death up here this morning. Hopefully that is a, you know, good balance. Um, and also there's cameras. Don't be scared by those. No, we're not like live streaming our service here. We're doing some uh, things um, that will eventually within a month or so uh, avail uh, to our community some teaching uh, series and some things that we want to kind of uh, pass on to others. And again, we'll get into the, the details of that later. But anyways, uh, today, today we'll be talking about servanthood, everybody's favorite subject, servanthood. I know it is in this church. Um, luckily for us here at Hilltop Church, we have uh, practical ways in which we can live the message of servanthood out in our church. Um, I'd like to start off by reading a quote by John Piper. Do we have any John Piper fans in the room? Probably not many. Okay, a couple. Uh, John Piper said this. He said, servanthood does not nullify leadership. It defines it. I love this quote, and somehow, some way, I like to believe that I actually live by this quote. I kind of model this quote. I hope to model it the uh, the, the entirety of my life, uh, I in no way feel as though as the lead pastor here that uh, servant or being uh, a servant nullifies um, me being a leader. It only qualifies or defines me as a leader. And I, I hope that today throughout uh, uh, the message that you will also be inspired uh, to whatever capacity you can uh, and to whatever degree you can, to also jump in uh, to serve here at Hilltop primarily. Uh, hands down for me, without any questions asked, um, the most moving and, and riveting story in the Gospels, uh, other than the death and the resurrection of Jesus, for me anyways, is the story of when Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. If you would turn with me to John chapter 13 this morning, we'll pick up our reading in verse 3. John chapter 13, verse 3. I'm sure it will be on the overhead here in just a moment. There it is. Look at that. Thank you, Izzy. I'm reading out of the ESV this morning. It says this, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist and then poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. He wiped them with a towel he had wrapped around himself. You know, some things that we need to understand, I think, culturally going into this sermon this morning, uh, kind of the backdrop, I think, historically of, of maybe some reactions that were witnessing this act. Um, one, uh, we have to know that in the ancient world, uh, um, humility was often seen as a sign of weakness. It's, Sometimes seen as a sign of weakness in the States here in 2018 also. It may have been normal for a, a wife to wash the feet of her husband. It may have been normal for a child to wash the feet 
of her or his his father. It would also be culturally acceptable and normal if a disciple had washed the feet of his uh, master. Um, But in any case, foot washing would normally be carried out by a servant, not by those uh, participating in a meal and certainly not uh, the one who was presiding at that meal or over that meal. In other words, this event, this action of Christ would be startling. It would be shocking to everyone who witnessed, culturally speaking, and I'm putting it quite mild too, uh, for the disciple maker, Jesus, that's who he was, to wash the feet of his disciples was unheard of. It was unheard of. According to tradition, Jewish slaves would not even be tasked with this job. And this might be offensive, but it was also, it was mostly dedicated or delegated, I should say, as a task given or assigned to Gentile slaves. Just shows you the gravity of Jesus' actions here. I mean, not only is he God, right? I mean, he's God in the person of Christ, God the Son, washing the feet of his creation, but There's some real cultural dynamics going on, too, that makes it um, somewhat awkward also. And you can pick up the tension, later we will in this sermon, as Peter addresses the absurdity of Jesus' action. But again, the disciple-maker, Christ, washing the feet of his disciples was unthinkable. It, It was. It was really backwards. It was upside down in many ways. Disciples were expected to serve their master, period, not the other way. And Peter expressed his uh, feelings. Uh, and he honestly, I think, spoke. He spoke honestly. Probably what was on everybody's mind that was observing. And he said this in verse 8 of chapter 13. Very short. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. <laughs> I love Peter. <laughs> he gets it wrong so many times. At any rate, uh, what the positive thing that we can take away from the foot washing is, is that anyone who would decide to wash the feet of his master or his disciple, the act would be seen as um, an extreme devotion to that person or those people. And, and, and thus, uh, Jesus would kind of be making that declaration, his commitment to his disciples. And matter of fact, Jesus makes... His uh, commitment, or he devotes himself in many ways, even unto the very age is what the Bible promises. You know, being a revolutionist, being a trailblazer, excuse me, was nothing new to Christ. The thing I like is miracles, casting out devils, uh, annoying the status quo, uh, healing the sick. Uh, That was only a fraction of what made Jesus so cool. It's somewhat... And sometimes the most obvious things to us that make Jesus such a Hebrew rock star, but it's only a small fraction of what made Jesus stand out. Revolutionist, prophet, a messenger. But what also makes Jesus stand out is right here in John chapter 13, the way that he served. You know, these kind of things hardly get noticed by us sometimes, don't they? They hardly get any airtime in the church, especially charismatic churches. I'm a charismatic, so I feel, I feel comfortable slamming them. 
But, but, but often we, and I'm, I'm guilty of this too, often we accentuate and only draw attention to the obvious things. And we look over these little nuances within the text that makes Jesus so very cool. And right now, even though to his disciples and maybe those who are witnessing, Jesus doesn't look cool, I'm telling you, friend, Jesus looks cool. You know, I'm guilty of this also. We all want to identify with Christ the miracle worker, right? Christ the healer, that's the Christ we want. Christ the prophet. Christ the rebel, ha ha, that's the Christ we want. And, and, and you know, in, in Jesus' day, when he came, his people wanted him to be a certain something too. And he didn't quite meet those standards all the time. I mean, God in the person of Christ is humbling himself, guys. Hear me. I know it might, it might be hard to snap out of it and think about this a little bit, but I want you to think, God. Why am I yelling? Because I want you to think, God. This is God in the person of Christ. Tying back his robes and putting a towel around his waist, getting ready to serve his creation. Jesus was there, right? I mean, he's serving that in which he's made. Who serves what they make? Often we, we let the things we make serve us, right? I mean, you break down to technical things, your phones and whatnot, but Christ, God himself in human flesh, that, that, that fires me up. I want to be like that. I, I love the fact that Christ was out there healing people. I love that he was out there raising the dead. I love that Jesus is seen as a rebel, revolutionist. I love all these things about Christ. But what really gets me, what really makes me love Jesus is his heart here in John chapter 13. That blows me away. That is part of what made Christ so great. Jesus not only lowers himself as a servant in John chapter 13 and washes the feet of his disciples, but just moments from this dinner, he'll go out and he'll give his life for these people and for all of us. Talk about serving us, reconciling us back to God, confirming that Jesus not only taught greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life, but Jesus also did it. And now, here in John chapter 13, as Jesus serves his disciples, he says, now you go and you serve one another. I mean, you think about it. Track with me a little bit. Don't let me offend you either, but... I mean, you think about the miracles and the authority in which Christ walked in. You think about Jesus and how he stood out as this activist and this loud mouth prophet, messenger, you know, causing all sorts of trouble. You think about that and you, you say, what greatness. But you almost would think that we would, we would see those things as very obvious. Like, that's, that's, 
what God should do. Right? We should expect God to do things we can't do. We should expect God to work miracles, to have a profound sense of authority, right? I mean, unless we doubted his divinity, right? I mean, you would expect God to come to earth and be God and do God-like things unless you doubted him. But even in the midst of doubters, miracles weren't enough to convince them of who Christ was. And that's not that, but the, the bigness and the greatness of God attributed to the miracles and wonders and the raising of dead, the dead and the, the, the prophetic and all these things of which Christ embodies. And then you almost come to some conclusion if you're tracking at any length of time with Jesus that these things should be counted on. Miracles didn't help those all the time see the greatness of God. Um, it, and again, it makes complete sense that God would come to planet Earth and, and, and do God-like things. But what doesn't make sense is that God would come to Earth doing God-like things, but part of Him doing God-like things would be Him taking a knee at the feet of His disciples and washing their feet. That blows my mind. That blows my mind. Today, I would like to title the message this morning, Servanthood's Nemesis. Servanthood's Nemesis Narcissism. Servanthood's Nemesis Narcissism. Now, this may not compute. It may not connect right at first. But I, I want to address a couple things that might be hindering you this morning of taking that plunge into active serving, the, actively serving, excuse me, the kingdom of God. And we can't just think at first glance that narcissism is just being obsessed with our looks. It's, it's far more than that. Narcissism plays out in the place of where we have self-love, self-adoration, self-absorption, conceit. Essentially, it's just the extreme, unhealthy focus on self. Philippians chapter 2. Turn there with me this morning, and we'll get this started. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 through 8. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. If this verse doesn't fly right at the face of our culture, I don't know how clear to be about this. Consider others more significant than yourself. We have built apps around our significance. We have social media platforms built to parade our significance. But here's this countercultural message saying no. Do nothing from selfish ambition, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Listen, I have an Instagram account. I have a Facebook account. You understand what I'm saying. Verse 4, let each, other, let each of you look not only to his own interest. Oh, come on. If this is not what serving is all about. You know, look not only to, his, to your own interest but also to the interests of others. Have this among yourselves, which was in Christ Jesus. There's the, there's the card right there played by Paul. Do as Christ did. 
Verse 6, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God. Are you kidding me? Something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking uh, the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The humility of Jesus is an extraordinary thing to take in when reading Scripture, when taking in the Gospels, that we see God and the person of Christ humbling Himself is a remarkable thing. Jesus emptied Himself, Paul says, by taking on the form of a servant. Servant, excuse me. Uh, he did not count His equality with God as something to cling, cling to. Now that is something remarkable. You know, we are consistently, unfortunately, being spoon-fed uh, in our culture, or by our culture, uh, uh, to have a high self-regard, a self-absorption, if you would, a self-admiration, a self-love, essentially, the world, and even the church at times, even the church at times, works at convincing us, just do you. <laughs> and we've built slogans around it, We've built companies around it, multi-billion dollar companies around making us what's of most important, what's of most significant. And here comes Paul flying in the face of these cultural norms saying, oh, no, 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 no. Even Christ did not consider his equality with God as something to cling to. And not only does he say that, but Paul says, do the same. Let your example be Christ. I'm thinking if, if, if Christ can empty himself of his status as being God, how much can I empty myself? I think it's very easy. I think in light of, of looking to Christ as my example, I think it's very easy. Narcissism is servanthood's greatest enemy because it places the interest of self over the interest of others. Let me read that again. Narcissism, the focus of self, being self-absorbed, is servanthood's greatest enemy because it places the interest uh, of self over the interest of others. While Christianity, friends, this is what we've all signed up with, hopefully, if your life is hidden with Christ, you've signed up to, 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 to place the interests of others over your own. I said that to my wife that this week. I said, honey, how, does this seem offensive? And, and she was a little bit taken by the quote. And she's like, yeah, yeah, I don't know if you should say it like that. But ultimately, ultimately, we are, we're not wanting to play games with this, guys. We want to... We want to stay within the framework that both Paul the Apostle gives us and Jesus gives us himself. We want to stay within the boundaries. We must, as Paul encourages us to do, place the interests over, uh, of others over our own. Now that may seem, that may seem hard and even, ugh, is he really, what? It, 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 and you may not have any feelings about that at all. You should. Because uh, this, this is not easily done. 
especially in the West. We, we have mastered doing us. We have, we have mastered making much out of our own significance, much out of our own interest. And we have forgotten that Christianity says, no, be focused, give your life even, as Christ gave his, to serve the interests of others. Are you kidding me? For me, even my heart has a hard time accepting that. Narcissism says, do you. Servanthood says, do you. But serve others. Consider others. Ego feeds the fires of, of, of selfless, selfishness because it gives us the feeling that we are all that matters. And humility, guys, humility feeds the fire of selflessness <laughs> to serving it. And that's what we see in John chapter 13. We see Jesus emptying himself of his status, his equality with God. It's only one case. There's many throughout the Gospels. There's one case that Jesus empties himself of his status, empties himself. Could you imagine? I can't even begin to Wrap my brain around that. That's huge. I mean, you best believe if I'm Christ, man, I'm coming with my business cards, my three-piece suit, my hair slick. I'm ready for business. You know who I am? Here's the deal. It's easy to serve others when we hold them in a high regard. We hold their interests up and we say, how? How can I help? How can I serve their interests? How can I be part of what makes them great? Serving is easy when we consider the needs of others, even to the point of considering the needs of, of others more important than our own. I already said that, but I think it's important to the, 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 the heart and the tone of what we're trying to go after as a church. The kind of humility uh, Needed is the kind that sees conceit and self-interest, guys, as vanity. As vanity. I'm having a hard time playing this out in my life right now. I've always considered myself to be a worship leader, you know. And I've been worship leading for, well, the entirety of my Christian walk and faith with the Lord. And um, we've been noticing as a leadership team, hey, you know, it might be time to pass the baton. I mean, it gets crazy. Well, it has been crazy sometimes, um, you know, coming here and leading worship and then preaching and serving and doing all those things. It's just my brain is like crazy sometimes. But if you've noticed for the last couple of Sundays, I've been, well, I haven't been on the stage. And, and it's been hard, man. It's not been easy. But I am surrounded by these gifted people who are, well, they're qualified, and they have some interests. They have some desires and passions of their own. And now I'm in a place of saying, God, how can I, within our context, how can I, within our church, serve those passions, those desires? How can I get behind that and endorse that and, and, and put that person there and put that person there while all are, yeah, uh, while in tandem lowering and sinking to being totally nowhere to be found on the stage. It's not easy. It's not easy. But in that 
the throes of that whole thing playing out, I'm having to listen to this sermon and get into my heart and be like, oh, I never pictured myself to not pick up that guitar and not pick up that, that vocal mic and get in there and swing. I want to play, coach. I want to play. But I realize that my life in this season might just be so that others can shine, and I might have to step away. Even John the Baptist, the greatest man who the Bible's ever, there's only a couple of them who ever walked the planet, he himself great prophet had to say, I must decrease right now that Christ might increase. And sometimes that's what it looks like to prefer the interests. It's not easy to prefer the desires and the passions of others. Meanwhile, you feel like you're sinking in absolute obscurity. <laughs> Does anybody remember I can sing too? <laughs> but it's good. It makes way for the things of God. When, when, when Paul uses the word significant or more important in Philippians 2, this is what he means. He had to have or hold over one, to stand out, rise above, over top, to be above, to be superior in rank, authority, power, to be prominent, rulers, to exile, to be superior, better, or to surpass. Paul places Jesus as the example in Philippians chapter 2. Let's read it one more time, picking up in verse 5. Is everybody okay? All right. Have this mind among yourselves. What's important for us right now? Before we go on in reading, what mind, what, what train of thought? Well, Paul says, have the same mind among yourself which was in yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. Jesus is our example here. We're to take him into our minds, and meaning that we're to think deeply upon what it looked like for Jesus, not to consider or count his equality with God as something to cling to or to grasp. Whenever we're struggling with wanting to serve or wanting to give ourselves unto the interest of others and helping, and we're having a hard time, we take the example of Christ and we place it in our minds and we think, oh, Christ did it. And if he did it, how much more can I do it? If, if he did such an extraordinary thing in that he emptied himself completely, even came from perfection. Think about it. Have you ever thought about it? Jesus leaves heaven? Who does that? Leaves absolute perfection. No sickness, no disease. Seated at the right hand of his father. Oh, but yet he decides to leave and come serve humanity. Not only serve humanity, but even serve them unto his very death. These are the links of which Christ goes to. And, it, and it's not just in proportion to his sacrifice on the cross. It's in proportion to when he healed that body or he opened those eyes. And it's to the proportion of oh, taking a knee and serving his disciples.
Jesus put aside his privileges. I don't know why I'm, I, I, I don't know why I, I, I am speechless. I, when, you, when you think deeply about these things, when you just don't, you know, you just don't scratch the surface, but when you think about all that entails when Christ came just to earth, just to walk amongst people, just to serve people, you start thinking about the very, you know, almiest things, and then those more subtle things in Scripture, it begins to floor you. And what begins to swell up in your heart is a deep gratitude and admiration, a deep love for Christ. But not only does that stuff begin to well up, what also begins to well up in your heart is how can I be like this? How can I do this? How can I go to the extents of what Christ did for us? Not necessarily just in his sacrifice, because then we'll never have to pour out our lives unto death. But how can, I, how can I give my life? How can I live my life in a sense of where I'm decreasing and all I'm looking to do is just put other people up, just, just serve other people, just get underneath them and say, how can I make you shine? How can I serve what God's placed in your heart? That's what Jesus does. Not only that, but he passes the baton in a sense because moments from his death, when he resurrects and comes to his disciples again, he said, listen, fellas, this is what it's all unto. I'm passing the baton. You're gonna do great and mighty things in my name. Why not just stick around for another 20 years? Why, why not just stick around and build a big, you know, global ministry for himself? Why not? No. Jesus said, I'm going to put my 12 out there, or 11. I'm going to put my guys out there, and they're going to carry this mission on. Hmm. Why is Jesus lowering himself as a servant, because servanthood does not nullify leadership. It defines it, and Jesus is defining some things. Being a servant didn't diminish or discredit nor tarnish anything about the greatness of Christ. Let me, let me say that again. Being a servant, the act in which Jesus does in John 13, did not diminish, discredit tarnish the greatness of Christ. It was a part of what, I'm sorry, it was part of what defines the greatness of Christ, the humble servant. It's part of what made up the greatness of God. After all, Jesus is the one who gave us Matthew 23, 11, The greatest among you is a prophet. The greatest among you is a miracle worker. The greatest among you are the wealthy. No, 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 no. The, the, the greatest among you are preachers and teachers and evangelists. Those are the great ones. No, 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 no. The ones you see on the internet and, and the ones that you buy their books and go to their conferences, those are the big ones. Those are the greatest in the kingdom. That's what's great. No, no, no. Jesus says, the greatest among you shall be your servant. <laughs> Jesus, right here in John chapter 13, models what true greatness is. He models it, and he tells his disciples to do the same. 
He does it in typical fashion, Christ-like fashion, but he also says, now go and do likewise. And right now, friends, for our community, Jesus is saying, come on, I've given you a model. I've, I've defined for you what true greatness is. Stop striving to be the next itinerant ministry or minister. I mean, don't stop with your desires and dreams, but maybe shelf it for a little while and see what God does. Don't strive to be the next CEO or the next millionaire or billionaire. Don't strive to be the best communicator. Don't strive, don't strive. If you want to strive unto something, strive under, after servanthood. I, I kind of don't know if this message would be all that popular in a community like this. I, I like to think it would be because, you know, I've seen God do great things in my life personally when I decided to serve and throw in and not always think that I have to be in front or on the stage or the one with the microphone. You see, there's a, there's a, there's a difference when I think that comes in our lives when we're given to some of the little smaller details in life and I think even church life as we've been talking about church for a good four weeks now that, that there's something of which God does for the individual who says I'm going to sign up I'm going to be part of something bigger than my own little world like what, what needs help I remember, I remember my first three years of of, of being a Christian. I was a musician, and I went in that church, you know, chest out. You know I sing, right? Loving pastor said, yeah, I know you sing, but we need help in the children's room. So come with me. Oh, wait, wait, children? <laughs> what? <laughs> okay, children, yeah, bless the Lord. Started off year, year and a half, praise the Lord, still in the children's room. <laughs> That's me blowing up my chest. Sorry, I don't know if it's working. Um, <laughs> hey, you know, remember Daryl over, you know, in Children's Church? I can, I can sing. Oh, yeah, you know what? We had our drummer. We, ha- we, we no longer have a drummer. I heard you can play the drums, too. Yeah? Okay, come play the drums. It's a little closer. <laughs> it's a little closer to play. Hosanna. Lord, I lift your name on high. <laughs> Classics, the greats. <laughs> if the Messiah can humble himself and serve his disciples by washing their feet and later give his life for them, then his disciples can humble themselves and serve one another in the same for us. The gospel calls for many responses of its followers, and amongst those responses to the gospel is volunteerism and laboring. For the kingdom of God. How else do we get verses like Psalms 110? Thy people shall give themselves freely in the day of his power. Or better yet, Jesus, pray to the Lord of the harvest that the laborers would be sent out. I need laborers. I need volunteers. Who wants to volunteer and labor? Now, I grew up in the labor field. I worked for a union company. I know laborers, man. They got the bottom of the barrel jobs. 
But yet Jesus is saying, no, no, no. Pray to the Lord of the harvest for laborers. It's a great field out there. Oh, but there's few workers. You said the word work. No, no. Yes, the kingdom of God is looking for a workforce. It's not all he's looking for, but it's a big part of what he's looking for. And it's clear in scripture that all he's looking for it, he pleads with his people to pray for it. And I say, in 2018, there is still a need. Like there was a need in Jesus' day for workers, laborers, people who know how to serve like Jesus served. Even if they do have a great ministry, even if they feel as though they do have a great talent or gift, sometimes I, in my life, God will take you right out of your comfort zone and place you in a place of service that you're just like, how did I get here? Why am I doing children? Have you heard the way I sing? Hilltop, although you wouldn't feel it today, our church is a sizable church. And we are probably guesstimating our size right around four to maybe 500 conservatively. We have 70 volunteers out of that 500 people that are serving on any kind of active kind of, you know, consistency. And I'm thinking, what kind of corner could we turn as a church if we could kind of cast our nets and draw a couple other volunteers and laborers into what God is doing here at our church. You know, I'm convinced that if we could just pull in another hundred or so, we could probably serve one Sunday a month, all of, maybe even right now, I think Children's Church is down to bi-monthly, like somewhat close, but it's, it's, it's growing. We need more people to respond to the gospel. <laughs> I'll be totally clear and frank and honest with you. For too long, the work of this church has fallen on the backs of a few. And it's time to turn a corner. It's time to do what we see Jesus do. Not just with the miracles, not just with the nice little prophetic words, but to actually take up our robes or whatever you have on, tight jeans and Get that towel. What can I do? How can I serve? We have plenty of opportunities to live this out in a very practical way. We are a mobile church, guys. Everything here just doesn't happen by itself or on its own. There are people who come and actually serve and try to prepare a context where we can experience God. And you know what? We need your help. We need your help. But more than just needing your help, I want you to respond. I don't want you to respond to a need today. I want there to be something in your heart that goes off to say, oh, I want part of what makes me great. I want 
part of my greatness to be that I know how to decrease, even though I might be gifted in this area. Maybe, maybe they'll throw me into something that I'm totally not, I'm totally out of water when it comes to. But I, I want that to be part of what makes me great. I want to throw in and, and, and serve. I, I want to do what Jesus did. And if that's you, I'm throwing my net this morning, so to speak. There's plenty of opportunities. And how can you take that next step? Well, one, you could go to Beyond Sunday today after church. Because one of the practical ways in which we start putting and throwing people into our community and family is to get them serving on some kind of regular basis. Because the thing that we found is a family that serves together stays together. But not only do they stay together, they start to get to know one another. Some of my richest, deepest relationships that are in this church today is because I'm right beside them at 7.30 in the morning, serving with them, walking with them, doing things and getting to know them. So you can go to Beyond Sunday, or if you don't have time for Beyond Sunday, you can stop by the info center. And all you have to say is, I'm interested in helping. What can I do? We'll get your information and we'll plug you in. It's time to turn a church, uh, corner church. It's time to uh, give ourselves freely to what God is doing in our church family in, in kind of the spirit and the heart and the tone and the frequency of what Jesus shows us in John chapter 3 and what Paul advocates for in Philippians chapter 2. Let's pray. Father, although this may seem like a cheap shot, Lord, that I preached a message on servanthood and then try to cast a net for <laughs> other people who feel that they are ready to throw in and to serve God. I, I ask, Lord, that even though, Lord, this may seem misplaced, God, I ask, Lord, that you would use it for your glory. I thank you that there's something bigger than just needs here, God. There's a response, Lord, where our church, Lord, our people need to respond to the gospel. Lord, with not just being enamored with uh, seeing signs and wonders, but also getting in the pits, God, and, 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 and throwing in to various ways in which we can throw in. And if it's not here, God, let it be somewhere else, God. Father, but I ask, Lord, that you would turn our, all of our hearts together as a community to serve one another to take seriously Jesus' command. After he modeled what he did in John chapter 13, God, I pray, Lord, that it would so inspire us to want to do the same, Lord. Maybe it's not washing feet. Maybe it's washing tables, God. Lord, maybe it's not washing tables. Maybe it's with children. Maybe it's with setup. Maybe it's breakdown. Or maybe it's in a third world country, God. Maybe it's in a, 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 the context of giving, God, to a missions organization. Whatever it is, whatever it might be, God, I pray, Lord, that you would make us a resilient church in the area of servanthood. I pray, God, that we would not be a church who loses ourselves in the grandiose of wonders and signs and miracles, Lord, but yet forget easily about the more subtle things of what Jesus also told us to do. I pray these things in your Son's name. Amen.
Church, thank you for dealing with me this morning. Um, again, although uh, the sermon was intentional, we are at a place of need um, where we're, we are uh, kind of reaching out and saying, hey, we want to relieve some of the people for who for five years have come Sunday after 